this place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yes. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash a check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. And we are back. Welcome once again to the QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck. I'm Doug Scott, joined today by both Justin Hopkins and QB11 himself, Andrew. How are you, J-Hop? I am good. I'll say good. Usually I, I would like kind of say that after a week on vacation, I'm more rested, but I got home at Friday night at like one o'clock in the morning and then had stuff all day saturday and and i would have loved to have just spent father's day at home sunday but that's not how it worked out for me but i'm good <laughs> that's awesome i uh i'm great because we're all three back together and uh i'm like starting to get kind of settled in at the new spot which is nice like moving freaking sucks uh so glad that's over with and um yeah there's going to be some pretty big audio upgrades on my end coming here in the next like three weeks to month i ordered a bunch of stuff yesterday so that's going to be exciting Looking forward to hearing that. Um, of course, on the on the rest of Oregon sports front, last time we were out here, we were covering Oregon baseball, making it to the Super Regionals, where unfortunately they had a, a heartbreaking series loss to Oral Roberts and uh, missed out on the on the College World Series, where Oral Roberts is making some noise themselves. So they're they're a good they're a good baseball team, and I guess no shame in losing to them. On a different note, Oregon is apparently a golf school once again. I know we won the national championship in golf a few years back, and, and now uh, one of our alumni has won the U.S. Open. Wyndham Clark with a really gutsy – I mean, he played well all week, but just really, really gutsy down the stretch yesterday. You know, had a couple of opportunities, I thought, where he could have folded and, and let Rory kind of back into it, let him – let you know. But he really came up nails every time down the, down the home stretch there. Yeah, um, if I can be as good at anything in life as Clark's short game, then I'm going to do really well. <laughs> like, that guy's short game is just nails. It was awesome to watch. Like, I'm not a huge golf fan. I don't watch every event. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert. But, like, he was just, like, the the stones that that guy has. Like, he was just clutch all with all weekend. Yeah, I'm definitely a casual golf fan. I'm a, a casual golfer as well. I like to play. I don't take it all that seriously. Um, but I did see a graphic, I think, from the Pac-12 that said like seven or eight of the last 12 champions have been from the Pac-12 conference, uh, including Wyndham Clark. So that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, uh, we need to monetize that big golf uh, TV revenue stream, right? <laughs> Help the Pac-12 out with their deal. <laughs> okay, Larry Scott. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was Larry's plan, right? It's working. It's working well. All yeah. the sports that don't pay money are are, th- are thriving. Shall we move on to football? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So obviously, Oregon. We're in the midst of the June recruiting visit period. They had a quite a number of visitors over the last couple of weeks, uh, particularly this past weekend that just wrapped up. Of course, next weekend an even bigger list. But let's talk a little bit about just this weekend that went past, and maybe touch on some of the names that were there, and you know how how we feel things are going with some of those guys. Justin, why don't you start? Yeah, um, you know, so I'm, I'm sure you guys are aware, but obviously I've posted some updates, um, you know, on the on the forums and on Scoop Duck uh, earlier today. But, you know, it was a good group. I thought it was a good combination of, of there was, you know, nine official visitors. And I thought it was a good combination of guys that, you know, Oregon was in a pretty good position with, you know, maybe top two, top three at worst, and then some committed guys to kind of help keep that juice flowing while they're visiting. So, you know, I don't know if we need to go into all of them. We certainly can, but, you know, four-star edge, Elijah Rushing, one of the top guys that's visiting. He's been at Oregon. Uh, The only school he's visited more is Arizona, which is literally blocks from his house. So he could walk there if he wanted to. Um, you know, so I think that says a lot about Oregon and where they stand, you know, Gatlin bear, one of the fastest players in the country wide receiver, you know, visiting Oregon visits Michigan next weekend, um, kind of looking like that's the battle there right now. I know folks are really interested in Nathaniel Frazier, the running back from modern day, you know, it seems like that's kind of Oregon, Georgia, Bama right there. And I, and I know that maybe folks are wishing that I would say, yeah, Oregon's going to land this guy or Oregon's going to get this guy. I totally get that. But we're really in a time period in a unique position right now that these guys are taking some very critical official visits in their mind, probably with a decision, you know, two to four to five weeks out from now. So, you know, you're not really going to get that clear sense of, you know, hey, this guy we lead for this or that. These guys are taking very critical visits. And I know, you know, Doug, you and I last week talked about this, you know, Oregon's big game hunting right now. This is different territory. This isn't like Oregon's battling Cal and UCLA for a guy, you know, that they would probably win nine out of 10 recruiting battles for, you know, you're now battling Georgia and you're now battling Bama. You're battling Michigan, Texas, Oklahoma, the absolute heavyweights in recruiting Ohio state to name another one. So um, it's a little bit different. And, and again, one of the things that, you know, I try and do is not only provide information, but provide education. And I think it's important for recruiting fans to kind of understand uh, some of those differences. Yeah. <clears throat> Building off of what Justin said, just looking at this, this weekend, it was nice to have a big group of commitments, including a new commitment in Kingston Lopa, um, who conveniently visited, committed, and then canceled his Washington visit, which is always funny. Um, but like having that big group of like that nucleus of commitments, especially from the Texas area, like guys like Aaron Flowers, uh, Zadavian Sims, who's from Oklahoma now but grew up in Texas, um, and then obviously quarterback Luke Moga having a quarterback each year, two big weekends, and Jackson Ford. But like just having a small core group of uncommitted prospects that are high priority guys, and really Elijah Rushing, while he was quote unquote part of this weekend, he came actually before. Um, which gave the staff a lot of time to give him that one-on-one attention, which I think is, again, I think that's a learned lesson from last year at this time where 
they piled like their top five edge prospects all into that June 23rd weekend or the equivalent of the June 23rd weekend last year. Um, and then they like some of the guys just felt like they didn't get the attention that they probably deserved on that visit. Um, and it ended up kind of backfiring with some of those prospects. And so just learning from that and showing the adjustment that they've made in this class, bringing in Elijah rushing kind of almost solo uh, where the whole staff can really give him their undivided attention was big because this is a player that they've been recruiting. Like I would, I would almost say, Justin, you could, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but when, when landing and Tosh and everyone uh, showed up initially last February, the, he was kind of the first guy that they brought in. Like he was the very first player. And so this is someone that the staff has been prioritizing from day zero. Um, and it seems that like Oregon is in a really, really strong position. Obviously, um, after what happened with Nico Yamaleava last year, you have to be a little bit concerned about that Tennessee visit coming up. But I think that the foundation that's been built with Oregon, um, the fact that he plays a premium position that shouldn't be an NIL issue for Oregon, um, and the fact that he already had visited Notre Dame. And so uh, they were viewed as kind of the largest competition. I think that Oregon probably did a good job of sealing that one and um, is going to be in a really good spot when a commitment comes up here in early July. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Elijah Rushing is one of the guys that, you know, I put in a fairly early prediction for Oregon um, on him, you know, probably a little bit earlier than I would have liked. But like you said, he's a guy that Oregon almost immediately, you know, got on campus, started working, building a relationship with. Um, and I just, you know, posted an interview on Scoop Duck with him. And one of the things that he mentioned frequently in the interview was relationships and how key that is in his decision-making. So not necessarily just relating that to Oregon. It's a big thing to him in recruiting period. So um, I kind of put that prediction in because of that. And the fact that it very much felt like one of those recruits that Dan Lanning was not going to let Oregon lose, you know, so I'm sure he'd love to do that with every five-star, but that's not realistic, but rushing really felt like, and again, we're calling rushing a four-star, but he's like literally three spots away from being a five-star. So, um, He's right on the cusp. You can classify him whichever way you want. He's definitely an elite player for sure. Yeah, and, and frankly, like the, the the nucleus of this class that's been established right now, Oregon sitting with 16 commitments. I'm not sure if that does or doesn't count. Uh, did he officially decommit? Did yeah, um, yeah. Uh, okay. Denmark, Tysir Denmark decommitted, and the 16 does not count him anymore. So okay, that's right. good. Or previous to make sure. So, like the nucleus of the class is largely in place, but these, like we talk about big game hunting and, and coming after these big fish players, like these are ultimately the players that kind of make or break your class. And so, getting a player like Elijah Rushing in the class, um, and then being able to close on some of these modern day guys, you mentioned Nate Frazier. Um, Gatlin Bears to me is a little different because obviously he's a mission guy, like he would be awesome for the class. He's a really talented player extremely fast i think that there's obviously probably a lot of appeal with the mixture of track and football at oregon um but he's really more like a 2026 recruit in the sense that he's going to be gone for 18 to 24 months on a, on a mission but again you got to win the battles for a guy like frazier against georgia and alabama for a guy like rushing against notre dame and tennessee like you already have won the battle for a guy like aaron flowers against usc and oklahoma and zadavian sims against oklahoma um and so these recruitments, and then obviously the ones that are coming up here this next weekend are are the ones that are really going to dictate um the ceiling of this program over the next three to four years and, and, and this is the difference between last year's class and this year's class. The nucleus is really strong, but we have Oregon has to win like 50 to 60% of these battles to put themselves in a position where they're competing for an actual national championship. 
Yeah, if you look at the class right now, there's 16 commits, 10 four stars, six three stars, and you look at who's left on Oregon's board. I don't. It's it's quite possible they might not take another three star the rest of the way, right? I mean, unless things really fall off or there's somebody they really like. But you know, out of the, let's say they take nine or ten more guys, they're probably eight or nine of those are are going to be four stars or five stars, right? So, like you said, it's the difference between a top 10 class and a, and a class that's right around that top five mark. Um, and that's the, that, that top five mark is where you need to be. If you want to like ultimately compete for a national title, the top 10 isn't good enough anymore. If you want to be, especially in a 12 team playoff era, when you got to win three games or four more. Well, especially when you're like, when you look at, so let's just take a trip back down memory lane here to January, early January, when we were watching Ohio state and Georgia play, right? Like, it is the the Michael Williams. It is the Broderick Jones. It is the uh, on the Ohio State side. It is the Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, the C.J. Stroud. The um, Paris Johnsons. Like th- those are the players at the premium positions. The highly contested recruitments that end up making the difference in those big games. And Oregon has to start to stash away some of these like premium, especially at the premium positions. But guys that have those projectable skill sets that it's like, okay, you could probably say pretty comfortably that if everything goes right and this kid's committed to football, he's going to at worst be a day two pick in three years. Like we got Oregon needs to start sprinkling in that in because I think that the baseline for the roster has been raised substantially and there's a lot of really strong, talented prospects on campus. We need more of the absolute can't miss guys. And so that's where if this class is going to be Oregon's best class of all time, and I think that we all are kind of on the same page that it probably will be like getting the, like next weekend, just kind of looking forward, getting the Aiden Breland's getting the Ryan Pelham's um, getting the Brandon Baker's and the um, like those types of prospects and Elijah rushing the Nathaniel Frazier's like, those are the guys that are going to end up making a difference in those important January games. Well, and if you, you guys are totally on the on the right track and on the right path. And if you go look at the on three uh, recruiting rankings right now, you know, and again, on three kind of is, is a little bit more concerned with your average star rating versus just the total number of commits you have. So it's a little different formula than what 24 seven puts out. But if you look, OK, uh, there is only one team currently behind Oregon in the rankings that has a five star committed. You know, Oregon doesn't have any right now. But if you go look. Of course, it's the usual. Georgia has two. Ohio State is the second best recruiting class right now. They have two five stars. You go down, Alabama's at number four with two five stars. So that kind of begins that separation that you guys were talking about. To be five through 10, yeah, that's a really good class. You know, if Oregon finished with nothing but four stars from here on out, they're going to have a top 10 class more than likely. It's going to be a great class. But to get up towards that top five or better, it's, you know, they're going to need to close on a Justin Williams and an Elijah rushing and maybe a Brandon Baker and, you know, those five stars that they're currently battling for. So it's time to start winning some of those battles. And I, I know that I don't remember who did, but somebody posted on scoop duck. It was last week or week before. I can't remember. I read it, but it's a great analogy. It was, you know, when you go, when you go fishing and it's the, the bigger, the fish, right. It's, it's like either the bigger, the victory when you land them or the bigger, the heartbreak when you lose them. And that's kind of where Oregon's at in recruiting right now. If you lose to Justin Williams, there's no doubt that stings. You're top two probably right now with Georgia, and you really want to close and win. It'll be a heartbreak if you lose them. It'll be a, a just a massive victory if you get them. But that's kind of where we are now. Yeah, yeah. And let's like, talk wait, a little bit. Of, let's talk thing. a little bit about. Oh yeah, go ahead. Like, in, or uh, sorry, Doug. Like, 
when you look at Oregon's three stars in this class too, like it's largely at projection based positions, right? Like you have a second quarterback who runs a ten five. You've got two offensive linemen that are in state guys with with the good the, with the requisite frames. I know that we're going to talk more about Devin Brooks here in a minute. And then you have a big tight end in Jackson Ford, who like he's going to be your inline you're in line why at some point here in the near future and he's got just a monstrous frame and so like they're not reaching on those guys it's just like those are positions where you're going to take some projectable players especially as like for instance in the case of ford and moga they're your second player at that position in the class and that's a second player at a position where usually only one plays um and then but as you start to climb climb the the rankings for oregon you start looking and it's like who are who is Oregon beating for the for the players that they're getting commitments from? I think that the average quality of the four stars, the guys like Ifio Bidegu, Aaron Flowers, Jordan Anderson, Fox Crater, like if you when you look at those those offer lists and you look at the schools that were really actively pushing for their commitments at the time of their decision, it's better than it was when Oregon was taking players like Jonah Miller or taking players who were like border like Harrison Taggart, who were like borderline, like they were kind of paper tiger four stars in a sense, where it was like they were right on the edge and the offers weren't that that impressive and the teams that we were competing against weren't teams that we're going to be competing against in, in an uh, in an eventual playoff and so like i think it's an encouraging thing to see where oregon is winning these head-to-head battles for high level prospects against teams that would be their eventual opponents in actual playoff situations yeah i mean just to kind of follow up on that and then get back to something else real quick you know oregon has six commits right now in the top 200 but they have none in the top 100 right and it's those top 100 players that are the difference makers i mean alabama got like 18 of the top 100 last year or some insane number right and that and you look at you look at the all the top schools who are the actual you know threats to win national titles and they are all loading up in that top 100 and so that's those battles that oregon is in on right a guy like nate frazier who was here this past weekend that we're battling georgia and alabama for um and a guy like um you know some of the other all the other ones we've been talking about right yeah Yeah, roger rushing baker right yeah freeland like these are the recruitments that are really going to dictate this class like we the the middle the middle of this class is already in place it's is but is the middle going to end up being the top because we miss on our top guys kind of like we did last year or are is oregon going to turn around and start and, and close out a, like a healthy again 60 percent of the top guys that they've been prioritizing and put themselves in a position where they have a truly elite class where like if 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 Obedegu, aaron flowers jordan anderson just as an example end up being like your seventh eighth and ninth rated players in your class that's a hell of a class if they end up being your third fourth and fifth rated players like it's still a really strong class relative to everybody else nationally but it's not putting you in a position to compete with the georgia's alabama's and ohio states in a playoff situation yeah so let's talk about those two georgia battles for guys that were both here this past week i know we've talked we've mentioned both nate frazier and justin williams but i'd like to dig a little bit deeper maybe in on both of those uh, recruitments obviously as we mentioned frazier uh, visited georgia earlier was at oregon this past weekend will be at alabama this next weekend before before making his commitment in july and then um, justin williams obviously has been at oregon this past weekend as well and as he got to Georgia this weekend coming up? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think so. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So that that's a that's a tough battle with with the two-time defending champs for both of those guys. You know, where do we how do we feel about Oregon in those recruitments? Um, you know, for me Justin Williams feels very similar to the Elijah Rushing recruitment and the fact that Oregon prioritized Williams very early on uh, you know, after arriving 
he was a four star at the time and then got bumped up to a five star, which is when Georgia and some others jumped in. And of course, when you're Georgia, you can do that, right? I mean, they're Georgia, they're winning back to back national championships, tremendous program. Um, you know, they get away with that. Oregon had done a really good job establishing a little bit more of a relationship up to that point. So, you know, again, the hard part is, is it's kind of the bigger the fish, the the bigger the victory or the the bigger the heartache. And so, yeah, I, I personally right now, I, I honestly think you could flip a coin. I think it's 50-50. You know, I think that Georgia could nail this visit. I haven't looked at Georgia's visit list for this coming weekend but I'm going to go out on a limb and assume they have quite a number of guys coming in to visit this weekend. So will that, you know, hurt or help them? Will they be able to give him the level of, of time, the level of attention that Oregon was able to this last weekend, you know, really only having about a half dozen uncommitted guys on, on campus. So, you know, you just have to kind of wonder about that. I think it'll be tight, you know, with Frazier, you, you got to like the fact that, you know, Georgia has two very highly ranked running backs committed already uh, Oregon has none, has clearly kind of made it clear to Frazier that he's their top guy and 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 they would take him and probably be done at his position um, for the one time distances on Oregon's side. So again, I could see or you know, I mean I could see Oregon getting both of them. I could see Oregon getting one of them, and I could see Oregon getting neither of them just simply because it's Georgia. So I know Duck fans won't see it this way, but even if Oregon can get one of the two, it's still a major recruiting win because that's a guy, you know, either one of them, it's a guy that Georgia, Bama, and others were were absolutely highly after. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I'm, I'm obviously not a recruiting guy in the same way that Justin is, but the way that, like, it reads to me is um, specifically with, like, his teammate Jonah Janier, uh looking like he's going to be probably a Georgia commitment in the near future. Um, I think that is probably the toughest part for Oregon to overcome. I have no, I have no uh, questions that the relationship is incredibly strong, just given like how long and how personal of a like touch, like Lanning has been prioritizing this on a very personal level with Justin Williams. Um, whereas I, uh, Georgia is newer to the game, but they've obviously made up ground quickly. And I think that again, the fact that they lead and are likely to get a commitment from Justin Williams, high school teammate probably helps a little bit. Um, I don't feel like let's say Oregon is a coin flip or slightly ahead right now with a Georgia official visit for their big weekend coming up next weekend. I don't feel particularly confident in Oregon's chances, but um, I mean, I guess that's why you, that's why you play the game. That's why you like play out the recruitment. We'll see what happens. I think that it's probably far more likely that Oregon will end up with Frazier than, than Williams at this point. It's just my gut, gut feeling based on the intel that we have and kind of reading tea leaves and connecting dots. Um, and specifically with Frazier, I think that'd be a great benefit because obviously Oregon leads for Brandon Baker, the five-star tackle from modern day. Um, and then as well as in probably no worse than top two, maybe probably top one for Aiden Breland, who's also a five-star defensive lineman from modern day. I think that the the reason that you take a guy like Jack Wrestler, aside from his own ability, is to kind of start to build that nucleus of players from modern day. And I think that those commitments when you get a group is always stronger, which is, again, kind of why I'm handicapping George as the favorite for Williams at this point. Um, so getting Frazier in the boat and having Brandon Baker be such a heavy organ lean, I think only helps you with Aiden Breland and Baker. Um, and so I think that that, that recruitment is really important. I don't really see Alabama as a threat for him, just specifically when you look at last year, what Alabama did in the running back, right? They got Haynes, they got Justice Haynes and Richard Young. They got two of the top three backs in the country last year. And I think they, I believe they already have another back committed in this class. Like, do you want to be the fourth back in that rotation? Or do you want to come in after Oregon took 
more of an all-purpose back in Lamar and then obviously a larger back in Dowdell a year ago. And like I think it's pretty easy to project that Bucky at least will be gone after this year. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see um, – oh, my gosh. What's his face? Noah. No, yeah, see Noah Whittington follow. Um, and, and so that could create a lot of opportunity for someone, especially with Nate Frazier's physical skill set, um, to come in and be an earlier contributor. Whereas I think just given the way that the Georgia and Alabama running back rooms are constructed right now, there's there's certainly better depth and talent in front. So uh, distance, modern day connection, all of those things, I, I think that Oregon probably has a better shot at Frazier um, than they do at Williams at this stage. So you mentioned um, Georgia's visit this coming weekend. So they, in addition to Justin Williams, they have a five-star corner, Charles Lester III, Brandon Baker, offensive tackle coming in, uh, Williams' teammate, Joseph Jonah Ajanye. They have uh, another four-star tackle in Michael Uini and Josiah Brown. And I wanted to mention one other one, uh, Christian Clark running back, who's out of Oregon a couple weeks ago as well. So they have a pretty good visit list coming in and some guys they want up here recruit as well with, with, uh, with Justin. So, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, I think we should move on to some of Oregon's new commits. I think since the last time we recorded, they got three more commitments. We've mentioned a couple of their names so far, but let's start with the local offensive lineman, Devin Brooks, out of Clackamas. I think Oregon's liking him as an inside interior offensive lineman. Um, QB, what can you tell us about what you think about Devin Brooks? Yeah, he was a player that I hadn't had a chance to watch a whole lot. So watching him post-commitment, kind of getting an idea for like who he is. I mean, here's the deal. He's playing the TRL. You're not going to look at his film and be like, oh, my gosh, he's just going to be a dominant player because he's beaten up on a bunch of little kids in Oregon. Uh, so what you're really looking at with a player like that is, like, what's the athletic skill set? How does he move? Like, what is? how does his body react to the different situations that get placed in front of him? Like, I fully expect him to just kick the shit out of whoever lines up in front of him in the state of Oregon. Um, but the, the thing that is more projectable to me is the frame, right? So he's like, you have a 6'4", 290-pound kid who's not carrying around a bunch of bad weight, who's a really easy mover. I mean, that's the, that's the thing that stands out to me most about him. The good, really good initial quickness, um, can get out on the on the edge, can, can bend and redirect. I, I think that he's got versatility to play any of the interior spots. I'll be really interested to see what Oregon does with the interior offensive line going forward. I think a, a player like uh, ta- uh, is it Tua, Tuamua from Hawaii uh, might be more of a center prospect, but I could also see Brooks cross-chaining at center just given the fact that he has really good bend and, and, and lower body athleticism. So um, I think this is a player that's probably, I mean, and this is true for all offensive linemen. He's going to need a red shirt. He's going to need a lot of technical training because um, his body is frankly going to look a lot different in two years than it does right now. Uh, but the, the the baseline athleticism that he possesses currently, um, you, you project that out. And I think that once he gets that requisite size, strength, and technical aptitude, you're going to have a really strong, dependable interior player. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a lot to add there, but I, what I will say is uh, something we alluded to earlier with Devin Brooks is the fact that uh, coming down the wire, at some point, you know, you basically 
got Washington out of the race for him completely. And then he committed Oregon and canceled a visit to USC that was going to be the following weekend. Um, you know, so again, that's not a guy that like, oh, hey, we beat Oregon State and Cal out for. You know, he had some pretty good offers. I think it was pretty clear from the onset that he was going to stay closer to home, you know, more regionally than, than, you know, traveling back east or the southeast or anything. So I think most of his offers indicate that. Um, I, I'm just always a fan of you getting the in-state kids because, to me, it always feels like they play with just that extra little chip on their shoulder because it kind of means that much more. You know, Brady Breeze, Chase Coda, uh, Alex Forsythe being some of the recent examples of that. I think guys that kind of punched above their weight class. So hopefully Devin Brooks is a, is another one just like that. Yeah, last thing on Brooks. The other thing, too, like I think that – and I, I don't have the data in front of me to support this. This is just a anecdotal opinion based on kind of how I remember it. But Oregon's best conversion rate with Northwest kids has been on the offensive line. And I think that like looking at the profile, if Devin Brooks is committed to football and cares, and which I, I think he does – he has a better athletic profile than Alex Forsythe did. And so there's no reason that he can't be a, a strong multi-year contributor on the interior of the offensive line. And I feel the same way about Terrence Ferguson, not Terrence Ferguson, but um, is it Trent Ferguson? The, the kid from uh, Salem? Trent Ferguson. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way about him. Like we're looking at kids with projectable traits, size, again, they're really on the offensive line. Uh, frankly, would if you're getting recruited by Oregon, you have the physical skill set. So how committed are you to the, to, to the craft and learning the, the sport? Because we've seen guys with less ability become pretty good players for us on the interior of the offensive line, just based on grinding it out. Like guys like Ryan walk, for example, are perfect. Like he was a five eleven walk on. Um, and so if, if these guys, like, I think what Justin mentions is, is true. Like if they take a lot of pride in the fact that they're playing for the home state school, um, given their natural athletic skill sets, like I'm glad that we're taking flyers, quote unquote flyers on guys like this, because these kind of guys pan out all the time. And it really just comes down to how committed they are. Like, I, I, I think that what Oregon is doing in this offensive line class is quite brilliant, frankly. Like, I think that you should have, you should take two or three guys like this and then two or three, like, higher end blue chip talents and mix them up. And then whoever pans out, pans out. Whoever doesn't, it's gone in two and a half, three years. Yeah, no, I think that makes that makes a ton of sense. Um, let's talk a little bit about Jack Wrestler now. I, I think you mentioned, you know, one of the reasons in addition to I mean he's he had power five offers outside of Oregon, right? He was gonna commit to a power five school. It's not a it's not a like situation like we saw a couple of years ago with some other commits. Um, but it, it was a head scratcher to some people, um, just based on his star rating, if you will, and maybe what they think of him talent wise. But let's let's talk a little bit about what he does bring to the table from an athletic perspective at wide receiver. Uh yeah, I think you know, I think a lot of folks are kind of overlooking the fact that uh, you know, he spent most of his junior year injured. So, you know, you've kind of got to take a lot of that into account. I think you hit the nail on the head. He had other power five offers. This isn't just like a guy that, oh yeah, we beat out Boise state or Arizona for, I think that Oregon built up a lot of goodwill kind of maybe investing early and taking the flyer on wrestler who's more than likely going to end up as like at least the third, if not the fourth wide receiver in this class. 
And again, we've already talked about the fact that he's at modern day. So I, I think he's, sh- I think he's got the ability to be shifty. I think he's got the ability to be similar to chase Coda, where he finds that soft spot in the defense and has good hands and can be reliable. Um, he's not quite the athlete that chase Coda is, but still you've got a lot of things there that can make him to be a nice safety valve for whoever the quarterback of the future at Oregon is. So I think there's just a ton of upside here for the ducks. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to lift off list, list off some traits for wrestler gritty uh, Jim rat first guy in last guy out locker glue guy. Um, like these, like all jokes aside, like wrestler is going to pan out one of two ways. He's either never going to play or he's going to be one of those like crafty, little white slot receivers that annoys the hell out of absolutely everybody. And he'll be really, really good and super productive. And then every Oregon fan will compare every undersized, slightly under athletic white receiver for the next two decades to him. So that's kind of where it's going to go. So it's going to be one or the other. It's going to be an extreme. I think, I think he's got like, he obviously has some, some talent and he's got a good skill set because as you mentioned, like he was going to be playing division one football, regardless of if it was at Oregon or not. Um, Is he of the quality of athletic profile that like any of the other receivers that we've recruited or accepted commitments from are Uh, no, but it doesn't mean that he can't be a really productive player. I mean, just as an example, like Hunter Renfro was a walk on at Clemson at a point in time when they had T Higgins and, um, Justin Ross and ended up being probably the most dynamic player of the three in college. And now is carving out a really nice NFL career for himself in Oakland. And so like there, there are, there's always room for guys like this to, to become good football players and to contribute, but like it's going to take a lot extra from him relative to some of these other prospects that we're bringing in, because frankly, like the athletic skill set, it just falls a little short of the other guys. Um, But hopefully, and from everything I've read about the kid and everything I've seen, that's like the kind of player he is. He's got that chip on his shoulder. He's going to grind it out. Like he has all of those stereotypical characteristics that get so many middle-aged Oregon fans really, really hot and heavy. So I think he's going to be a, like, if, if it works and if he plays, he's going to be one of those guys that's a fan favorite. And then the Jeff Mail comparison will die and it'll be a, it'll be a wrestler yeah. comparison for the next two, 20 years. <laughs> okay um should we move on to the most recent commit from just from this past weekend and that would be four-star safety kingston lopa out of sacramento california lopa was previously committed to arizona decommitted from them i don't know maybe a couple months back started setting up some visits um came to oregon this past weekend as you mentioned earlier was supposed to be up at washington this coming weekend he's not going up there because he, he pulled the trigger for the ducks and uh, becomes a second safety commit in this class um qb what do you like about lopa and and have you had a chance to watch his film yet yeah i actually just uh, sent over justin the eval last night i'm pretty sure it's up on scoop duck right now um i i like lopa it's an interesting prospect in a couple of different senses so like whenever you're taking a kid who plays safety who again i've seen him listed anywhere from six five to six three and so i kind of tend to lean towards that lower number so let's just say he's six four six three and a half somewhere in the middle um like whenever you have a guy that's that long and he's 190 pounds currently as a junior in high school, the question is, as his body scales, like when he gets in a weight room in a real meal program at, at, at a Division One school, <clears throat> how how is his body going to change and develop? Is he a guy that's going to 
I, like in my email, I presented two options, and I'm, I don't think he's actually particularly like either of these players, but is he a guy that's more naturally wiry and lean, and so he's just going to get like more basically cut up and lean and twitchy, like kind of like a Brian Addison? Or is he going to be a guy who naturally gets more bulky um, and, his, and his explosive power is more of a like short area thing where it ends up being more like a Jamal Hill? Right. Um, and so there's a couple different directions that his development can go from a skill set standpoint. Now, I think he's a lot closer to Brian Addison. He's long, he's rangy. Um, I really like his receiver film. In fact, I know the, I know the Beavers, for example, were, were the only team that was really recruiting him to play offense. Um, he's got really good ball skills. And I think that a lot of times you get these kids that play two, two ways and they end up at safety because they can't catch anything. Uh, but he's actually got really impressive ball skills. And again, like, He's got range for days. He can run. He's got he's got that long gait. So getting center field to hash or or um, center field to sideline, I don't think is going to be a problem for him. Um, assuming that his, depending on how his body takes the weight room, uh, and that's that's going to be the thing that you monitor. Is he someone that ends up kind of growing into one of those more like nickel hybrid linebackers, or is he a guy that can stay as a true safety skill set? And that's kind of what is, remains to be seen. Yeah. And, and again, you said this earlier, QB, you know, it's kind of like they're taking a flyer on, you know, positions that, you know, have a lot of value. And he's not necessarily a flyer, he's a four-star recruit, but he's got those intangibles, you know, like his height, like his like his weight, like his range. Those things all have a ton of value. Um, I think that we've seen since Dean Lanning's arrived, he's a pretty big fan of finding different body types that allow them to do some different and unique versatile things on defense. And I think Lopa is one of those guys that they really kind of identified for that. So is he an absolute true safety in the sense of the word? Maybe, maybe not. I guess we'll see. He's definitely not a cornerback. Um, he would be an undersized linebacker currently if that's where, you know, things played out. But there's a lot of value in kind of having that versatility of someone you could put on the field and it wouldn't be a total liability, um, you know, maybe pushing up the field a little bit more towards linebacker and in coverage. So I think that's what they see here with Lopa and he's a great compliment to flowers. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, and one thing I want to say is like, and this has been true since landing and and Malco took over, like he's really toolsy and like instinctively. And like right now, like his reactive, like he triggers quick on, on things. Like he's not, he's not a guy that like shows like he's more, he's not a sea ball chase ball. He's an instinctive football player. Um, and so to me that like scream safety and he triggers quick. And for a guy who's like kind of higher cut and higher cut, I mean, he's got higher hips, like shorter torso, longer legs for a guy who's higher cut like that one, it's going to be easier for him to stay lighter, but two, he's got really good reactive quickness for someone like that. And so like, I think he has currently a really strong safety skill set. The question is, is as his body matures, is it going to stay a safety skill set or is he just going to put on too much mass and lose too much, short area reactive quickness and have to come down and play in the box more. And then, and, and like maybe he ends up playing more of a star. Maybe he ends up playing deep. I think there's, there's a lot of different outcomes with him, but ultimately you're taking a really toolsy player. So it's it, like, whatever it is, like there's a good chance he pans out. Good evals there. And again, if you want to read those in full, you can see them over on scoopduck.com. Uh, I don't know if they're all up yet, but it certainly at least a couple of those are, are up on the site. And Lopa's, I saw, I was just reading it offline there a minute ago. Um, let's move over at this point. You know, Oregon's graduated a bunch of football guys, and I think that was some that was cool to see. 
see those kids and their photos and stuff up on up online with their graduation but now we've got a new class coming in so you know we talked about this a lot you know the advantage of oregon having so many of their players from the 2023 class 19 in fact early enrollees from the 2023 class were here either in january or march and and participated in pretty much all of spring ball so 19 guys getting spring ball is huge and and a lot of those guys are going to be playing roles this this fall and now we've got 10 more coming in and i think they've all they've all showed up on campus they're all enrolled they've all uh, going to be starting school and the off-season programs now and, and we don't have to talk about them all one by one we don't have that kind of time but i'm going to name them all off and then maybe we can go around the room and, and talk about ones that we expect obviously it's it's tough coming in missing the spring ball and being behind those other guys both the veterans as well as the other freshmen who made it in for spring but i, I expect at least a few of these guys to to crack the rotation this fall and maybe we can talk about who we think those are and what we what we're looking for them to bring to the table so um obviously three of the top five commits in the class will be joining so that would be five-star wide receiver jury on dickey um high four-star corner roderick pleasant and high four-star corner Dalen austin as well as two other kind of top two four seven guys top top 250 guys in ashton porter on the defensive line and amari washington also on the defensive line and then uh two more four stars Terrence Green, again, defensive line. Blake Purchase, the edge player out of Colorado. And then we got uh, three kind of three-star players, offensive lineman Lipe Moala out of Modern Day, Bryce Bolton out of Palm Desert, California, and Colin Gill, the kind of nickel safety corner, if you will, out of St. John's in Washington, D.C., uh, Justin, why don't we start with you this time? You know, maybe pick a name out here that you think could could crack the rotation this fall and be a real difference maker as early as this twenty twenty three season. Well, I mean, I think uh, I think Andrew and I probably agree that you know Jurion Dickey's probably the favorite there. So I'll, I'll go with somebody else. I I think that um, Dalen Austin is a guy that I personally have circled and kind of think that he's a guy that will not only be a great player, but also fills a position where the Ducks could use some guys, could use some help. Um, it'd be really tough for him to crack that and become a starter. It's not impossible, but I, I, I do see him being um, having the opportunity to be a contributor and be a guy out there. The other one that I'll throw out as well is I think Amari Washington, and we talked about this earlier with Elijah Rushing. You know, Rushing has kind of felt like a recruit that Dan Lanning you know, really wanted to make sure that they didn't mess out on. And Amari Washington was one of those in that last cycle to me that they identified early and and gave them a lot of attention. So, you know, for me, it's it's Dalen Austin and Amari Washington. I think both those guys will have an opportunity to contribute this season. One of the under-talked about narratives towards signing day last year was the fact that, like, Amari Washington was being, like, hotly pursued by LSU. Like, they were really trying to flip him. Like, they were trying to go one-for-one for, one for us with us, with Dale, with uh, Dylan Austin and Amari Washington. And, frankly, like, from the very onset of last year's class, Amari Washington, to me, was, like, very clearly the best interior defensive lineman on the West Coast. So, um, I share your excitement about him. It's going to be a really deep and tough group to crack. I think his best shot's going to be probably as, like, a third-down specialist. And I, I another body added to that group but i'm really excited about like frankly most of these players i think blake purchase is somebody that's got a good shot to play early um ashton porter is a guy that like he just he was actually i saw a picture of him next to terrence green yesterday and like we all know terrence green is like 
he can he can reach out his arms and probably touch the state of California from from Eugene. Um, and Porter looked really long, so that was actually kind of exciting for me to see that his frame is actually probably a little bit bigger than I anticipated. Um, and so Porter and Purchase play a premium position where we need more pass rush and we need more explosive like game changing play. And so I think that both of those guys are going to have an opportunity. Um, I agree with you about Jury and Dickey being kind of the obvious answer. I think that uh, the receiver room has obviously changed quite a bit this offseason with the with the three transfer portal additions and some of the some of the people leaving. And I still think he's talented enough to play, assuming that he can be like healthy and back in like proper condition by the time that fall camp starts. So there's a there's a handful of players in this group that would not surprise me if they played. Um, the guys that I think that are most likely to redshirt for sure are guys like. Uh, Moala and Bolton because they put on the offensive line. The one though, to me that is going to be very interesting. Like I am eagerly anticipating hearing the reports on from fall camp is, is Colin Gill because he's a guy that the staff like took as like a no brainer early in the cycle last year, who was very under recruited, not very highly rated, but a guy that they had, I think in consecutive camps, like I, I believe that Oregon actually went to a satellite camp, saw him offered him and then went to another one to see him again, just to make sure before they took his commitment. And then took him. And so he also plays that star position where I think there's a chance that we might have a little bit more opportunity depending on where uh, Cole Martin ends up. And so he's going to be a guy that I'm really interested to see. Like, is he a hidden gem that we uncovered in last year's class or does he end up kind of washing out in a couple of years? Yeah, I'll throw one more out there. Uh, Roderick Pleasant, um, not necessarily in the corner room because I think, like you said, there's a lot of guys there, but. I mean, the guy has like three of the five fastest 100-meter dash times in the state of California high school history, and he just won the Nationals at Eugene this past weekend and then just stayed. So he's a guy, like, I'd love to see him on kick return, right? Put him back there, let him let him use his speed. So I think I'm hoping to see something there out of him and, and see how he develops at the position and the position battles as well. Yeah, I mean, it's just exciting. Like, I uh, a little shout out to LJ, I think LJ Ginger on the board. He does his uh, du- like new ducks numbers every year. It's one of his favorite threads that he starts. And I'm looking at the list, and there's just like dudes everywhere. <laughs> like they <laughs> they they bring it in forty is at forty three new players, and like there is a lot of talent that's like new to the program. And so it's going to be really fun to see how some of these competitions shake out and where guys end up. And ultimately I don't think a lot of these guys redshirt because I don't see a lot of value in red shirting anymore. No. Um, and so outside like, of the offensive line. Yeah. So like, I'm not looking at any of these guys as starters. I don't think that any of these guys have to be starters, but if you're good enough to earn a rotational spot or earn a role on this team. And I think that one thing that landing is continually parroted is that like, if you're good, good enough, you're old enough, old enough yep. right? And so, like, and they want to find roles for as many guys as possible. And so, how many of these young, these new young players, can, are good enough to pick up whatever offense or defensive scheme they need to learn, and then carve out a role for themselves? That's going to be exciting to see. Well, one of the things I heard, I think it was in one of the Elijah rushing um, interviews after his visit, I heard him him saying that Tosh was telling him is. You know, we just want to bring waves of guys off the edge, right? We want to have as many guys. If anybody can can rush the passer effectively, we're just going to rotate them through, right? We're going to play as many guys who can contribute there at a high level. And I think you would say that across the defensive line, right? And that's why a lot of these guys, like you said, give them a roll. They're a third down specialist. They're we rotate them in, you know, every fourth series to give some guy a blow, right? Like if you have enough talent at that position, like you can do that. You you know, you're not in the packages. You're not in every down player but you can get someone five 
five to ten snaps a game, filling a very specific role that they can do at a high level, especially as a as a freshman coming in, right? Like that's a great way to. We saw that with with Connerly last year, right? We saw it with some other guys where it's like, okay, you have a defined role. This is it. We're easing you in, and then next year you're gonna you're gonna take a much bigger role. And um, uh, going back to the numbers thing, how crazy is it going to be to see number ninety nine catching passes? I love it. Drayon <laughs> Dickey wearing ninety nine. Yeah, that's either going to be awesome or like he's not going to pan out and it'll just be embarrassing. So I'm really hoping for everyone's sake that it's awesome. Well, we did this last year, uh, and this time we're bringing Justin in, so we're going to have three lists this year. Uh, We're going to start with the Pac-12 coach rankings, 12 through 1, covering every coach in the Pac-12. And, you know, when I told Justin about this, he's like, well, what's the criteria? And I said, well, it's whatever you want it to be, right? Uh, For me... I look at it as a as a blend of all things. Like I think I think a coach is how do you run your overall program? How do you recruit? How do you coach on game day decisions? Do you have any specific like X and O scheme advantages and just kind of overall your overall coaching acumen, if you will. So to me it's a blend of all of those things. I know some people rev more on recruiting, some people rev more on game day coaching. Um, usually on lists like this under or overachievers tend to tend to do really well on these kind of lists. Um, but anyway, it's whatever you want it to be. We'll start at the bottom at number 12, and I'll lead off, and then we'll just go around the room. And then we'll do we'll do it snake style. So whoever um, whoever finishes last will just start the next, the next rung up. So uh, at number 12, I've just got to default put new coaches at the bottom and let them work their way up. So I've got Kenny Dillingham at Arizona State because he's the only one who's never been a head coach before. I expect him to move up this list over the next few years, by the way. I think it's a good hire for them. I think they're they're a team that can make some noise to the middle of the pack in relatively short order. So I expect next year when we're talking about this, he's not going to be at number 12, but he's there by default for me. No, I'll that's yeah. next. That's fair. I I've, got, I've actually got Justin Wilcox at number 12. Samesies. Yep. I just, uh, I mean, I don't know about QB, but I just feel like it's run its course. It's as good. He doesn't recruit especially well, doesn't seem to coach especially well. Give me a young blood guy that I can at least see what he's got over the old retread at this point. Yeah. Justin Wilcox has a lot of red check marks. And like when I'm looking at him as a coach, like first red check mark is like he has done a piss poor job philosophically of deciding what they're going to do offensively. And he's basically tried everything at this point. Like Jake Spavadol is like a desperate stab in the dark. Um, but philosophically, I think that he kind of stinks, at least offensively. I like, even if I was just hiring a defensive coordinator, I'd rather have Jake Dickert than Justin Wilcox. Um, so I had to have Jake Dickert above him just based on that criteria alone. I think that Wilcox has vastly underperformed recruiting to Cal. Like we've seen coaches recruit well to Cal in the past and he's done a really poor job of that and frankly like results wise like they kind of t- peaked out at about seven and five for a couple of years and then it's been like all downhill and again i understand that there's a lot of institutional problems at cal but there's no reason that cal should be ever worse than washington state or oregon state and they've been very consistently worse than both and so um i i just i've never understood the wilcox love like he parlayed that wisconsin defensive coordinator job into this and ultimately he was really just living off of what Dave Aranda had left behind, running the exact same system. All right, QB, who you got at 11? Um, at 11 is where I'm going to go to Dilly. And again, I, I fully anticipate he'll move. Actually, no, I'm not. I'm going to I'm gonna rearrange my list a little bit here. I'm going to go Jake Dickert <laughs> at 11. Um, and this is really no fault of Jake Dickert because Washington State's an incredibly tough job. 
Um, but like, you're just never going to be able to recruit at a super high level, but he has absolutely maximized um, defensively what they're able to do there. And I, and unfortunately it's going to be hard for them to retain good players uh, as we saw in the transfer portal this off season. I'm, I'm assuming they'll take a little bit of a step back, but I also think that his first offensive coordinator hire was relatively underwarm, underwhelming. So we'll see what this new guy is. I think he got kind of bailed out by the fact that there was a small school in Texas that needed a head coach. Um, but we'll see what their offense looks like this year. It was very, very vanilla last year, very predictable, way too many bubble screens. Um, and so I got, I've got uh, our guy, Jake Dickard at 11. I've got, uh, I've got Deion Sanders. I'm just, I don't buy it. I just, I, I think it's like, I know he re- recruits decently, but I'm just not buying it. So I've got, I've got neon Dion at number 11 for me. Fair enough. Um, Moving on to oh sorry I didn't touch on my number eleven I also have Jake Dickard at number eleven from Washington State um, I, all the things you said QB I, I think just his offense is really bad he's it's a hard place to win but I also don't think he's doing as well as he could there and, and some of this is just kind of like where the names fall by default I've got Justin Wilcox at number ten um, you know obviously you guys have him at number twelve so I'm I wouldn't say I'm high on him by any stretch I just. <laughs> Like I said, I put Dilly at the bottom by default, and Dickert I just kind of feel is probably a little worse than than Wilcox. But you know, you made some strong arguments there, so I got Wilcox at ten. Hop, you're up. That's okay. You're 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 Justin Wilcox Homer. We get it. Uh, no, I've got uh, I've got Dickert there, and for a lot of the reasons you've outlined. But I will note, Washington State might potentially be the hardest job in the Pac-12, which is saying something because we've got some pretty isolated places but that's i mean spokane that is a tough sell so i've got dickert there yeah at 10 is where i go troy taylor um i think he's inheriting probably the worst situation just in terms of a roster um institutional like roadblocks and things of that nature but he's actually recruiting quite well right now um they're they're winning a lot of battles against Pac-12 peers for like the kind of the best of the rest. The guys that Oregon and Washington are kind of passing, or not Oregon, Washington, Oregon, USC are kind of passing up on. Um, and so I'll be really intrigued to see kind of what it looks like over the next couple of years. And I'm also not super thrilled with some of his position coach hires. Like you hired Bob Gregory. Um, we'll see how that plan that works out. Uh, and we'll also see how him calling his own offense as a head coach works out. So for right now, I think. 10's a really safe spot to to throw uh, to throw Troy Taylor. Yeah. Yeah, so we're at 10. And at I've, 10. Got to, I've got uh, I've got Troy Taylor there as well. Um, I, I think so my criteria, just so everybody knows, is basically I decided for my criteria to be if I was athletic directors and making the hire out of the Pac twelve coaches, this this is my list. And that's just kind of based on who I think can be good or has done a great job, who recruits well um, and coaches well. So, yeah, I've, I've got Troy Taylor there, but I think Troy Taylor's going to move up the list in the next couple of years. All right. So, I, number 10, I've got just – well, I already said that already. Um, nine now. Wait, did I? I'm so confused. We're at 10. We're at nine? We're at nine. <laughs> I lost track. I have Troy Taylor at my number nine as well. Um, I think if I made this list a week or two ago, I probably would have put him lower. But just watching what Stanford has been doing on the recruiting trail um, after really three or four years of recruiting 
nothing. Um, I kind of really had to move him up a spot. Probably put him. I probably flip flopped him and Wilcox based on that. I maybe moved him ahead of Dickert based on that as well. So I've got him at number nine. At number eight, I've got Dion Sanders out of Colorado. Um, I wouldn't say I'm like a huge Dion believer. I do think. He's he's got enough juice on the recruiting trail. He's going to be able to pull some people in. I think he hired some really good coaches around him. So I think they're going to not this year, but I think over the next couple of years they're going to you know get their way into bowl eligibility and and uh, to be a team that's really been you know much better than Colorado has been for most of the last twenty years. So uh, I think I think the Dion effect, if you will, is enough to to bump him up to number eight on my list. That's where I've got Dilly. Um, I, you know, I, I like Dilly. I think that I'm probably giving him a little bit of love, but I, again, if I was starting, not starting, but if it was my hire to make and, you know, if I'm, I'm going versus a retread versus, you know, maybe somebody a little bit younger and unproven, I'm probably going to put Dilly over, you know, Taylor, Wilcox, Dion, those guys. So that's why I have him there. Um, a biggest reason the guy can recruit quarterbacks and you, you got a fighting chance if you got a good quarterback. Yeah, I'm going to go a little bit different direction than you guys at nine. I'm actually going to go Jed Fish. Um, and the reason I'm going Jed Fish a little bit lower than I think would be cons- like considered traditional by most people is I think that he's done a really poor job managing the defensive side of the ball. Like I, d- I don't think that um, the defensive coordinator hire was good at all. Uh, and I think that their defense is going to continue to bottom out. And, and to me, um, with – stronger jobs in that in the division whether it be Colorado or ASU making really strong hires with guys who can really recruit um, who have also in my opinion built superior staffs I just I can't put fish above the other two so I've got fish at nine hey real quick before we start at eight hop I think I messed up when I was writing yours down can you give me your 12 through nine once again well see I moved them around I was reading but anyways it was Wilcox at 12. Uh, Sanders, 11. And then I think I went Dickert. And then then Taylor. And the most recent one was Dilly. Okay, that's the problem. I have, you're, you've, you're one over. You've, we, I think you doubled up when you weren't supposed to. So that's why oh. I messed up. But that's okay. We're good. Okay. We'll skip your turn. So we'll move on to number eight, which is your Dilly hop. And QB, your number eight is? Um, also Dilly. Um, and I actually considered putting Dilly a little bit higher than this. I know he's a first-time head coach, but his staff, like he put together a really strong staff in my opinion. He did a good job of doing the in- of keeping the in-state people happy so that he can pluck off some of the better players that are, again, not that the, the guys that, that Ohio State and Texas and USC and Oregon are going to leave alone. Um, but then he went in and hired Rashad Samples to be his wide receiver coach. And I think that, that that is like quietly one of the best hires of anybody this offseason. Like that guy is a star in the making as, a, as an assistant. I don't think he'll be there for very long. I think he'll probably end up at one of the big schools in Texas by the end of next year. Um, but it's like making hires like that, showing that savvy, being able to close on a Jaden Rashada. And I also think that like their portal class is a little bit under, underrated. Like I think they've made some pretty strong additions in the portal. Um, and I think that they're going to be. I, I think ASU is going to outperform expectations, and I actually think that they might be the best team of the bottom three in the South this year. So um, I have a lot of faith in Dilly um, as an offensive, as a play caller and offensive coordinator, and I really like the staff that he put together. 
All right, so I've got you with Dilly at 8, Fish at 9, Taylor at 10, Dickert at 11, Wilcox at 12. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, and again, I also like – I think that job matters for this list and job fit, and I don't yeah, know that there's a definitely. better job fit than Dilly at ASU in the entire conference. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the tough part when putting these lists together is is the fit, right? Because like somebody – and I think this is the challenge, you know, Hop, no offense of the way you're doing it is I look at it and like I – in a vacuum, yeah, it's easy to say these are the guys I'd hire, but also it would depend on the job I'm hiring for, right? Like, I wouldn't yeah. hire, you know, I wouldn't hire an ace recruiter to or Washington State. State, for an example, because what are you going to, like, it's going to kind of be wasted there, right? Yeah, I agree. And I think that the one thing with Dilly is there's going to be some stability there now. And again, I, I think the reason I have him of a fish, despite the fact that fish has substantially more. Um, like if Dilly was at Arizona and Fish was at Arizona State, I would flip this. I think Arizona State's the better job. I think Arizona yes. State has a higher recruiting ceiling, and I think that Dilly, like Arizona, really capitalized on Herm Edwards' fiasco, and um, and Fish had that really strong recruiting class two cycles ago. But I don't see them being able to replicate that now with some of the other hires that have been made in the conference. Like those prospects are now going to go to ASU or Colorado, and so um, I think that that kind of pushes Fish down my list a little bit. And I think it puts a little bit of a side. I think it pushes Arizona. Like this is a really a win now year for Arizona because I think you're right. If they if they kind of underperform this year, win four or five games, I think Arizona State could just rocket past them. They, Arizona desperately needs some momentum in the, as a program, and I think their their window of opportunity to grab that is quickly closing. All right, let's move to number seven then. QB, go ahead. Uh, at seven, that's where I got Dion. So, and the main reason for this is again, like talent acquisition. Like he was able to bring in more talent than any of the bo- any of the coaches below him on this list. And I actually think he made some really, really strong coordinator hires. Um, Sean Lewis from Kent State, the former head coach, uh, is a really strong play caller and offensive coordinator. And I think that his system um, is going to be one that actually works with the fact that they don't have tremendous offensive line talent currently and so like i thought that was a savvy hire i think that um the uh, hiring kelly uh charles kelly the former florida state defensive coordinator and alabama safety coach as your defensive coordinator is a really strong hire um i know things didn't end great for him as the defensive coordinator at uh florida state but some of that wasn't his fault so um i i think that like of all of the new coaches at the like lower level programs in the conference i think that he made the two best coordinator hires uh which is ultimately why i have him where he's at plus his name and the ability to go out and get some like instant impact talented players guys like travis hunter Carmani mclean uh dalen Dalen Edwards, um, and plus plus others, and so I think that uh, Deion Sanders has to be at seven because uh, there's a lot of advantages just built into being Coach Prime. All right, Hop, you're up at number seven. Fish is next for me. I've got him there. I think he can do some things, but I do agree with you guys. The window's closing um, on his ability to kind of capitalize. So um, I, I, if this was next year, I get the feeling that I'll have Dillingham ahead of him but uh with where we are right now this is where i got fish yeah i also have fish at number seven for me and this is probably his apex i don't see him climbing any higher on this list and i probably see him dropping down it you know i could see dion passing him um dilly could rocket up the list pretty quickly uh, even a guy like taylor could could jump past fish depending on how they go stanford goes over the next couple of years so I, I think he's done a pretty good job there but i do think he's at a he's on a real 
tipping point uh, for him and the program there. Um, moving on to number six, and this one is probably going to surprise some people and, and give some cries of homerism on my part, but I've got Kalen DeBoer at number six. Um, and here's the reason primarily is that it is inexcusable for a program the stature of Washington to be recruiting so poorly. <laughs> they have one commit. They're the last in the Power Five and number of commits in their class. They have no juice on their recruiting trail. They finished 25th last year with a late surge of a couple of, of blue chips. And it doesn't matter how good of a coach you are at a program like Washington if you can't, I mean, you can't bring in the talent. And, and pretty quickly here, those guys that Chris Peterson recruited and those guys that um, you know Coach Adams recruited at receiver when he was up there and, and Lake and some of the other assistants that brought in, you know, those, those guys are going to be gone. And the the amount of talent that Washington has not brought in over the last few cycles, the Lakes Lakes classes, and then really DeBoer's two classes now, um, is going to catch up with them uh, eventually. And recruiting is a big part of the job, especially if you're out of school that should be able to recruit in the top 15 to 20 consistently every year. And um, you can't coach your way out of that. Eventually, that's gonna that's gonna bite you in the butt. And I don't see him as a better coach than any of the five guys I have ahead of him on this list across the matrix of, of all of the the components of coaching we're talking about. You and I are probably gonna have a pretty similar top five because I have DeBoer there as well. And you hit the nail on the head with the reasons why he's got a lot of talent there. He had a good good first year. You know, Michael Michael Penix stayed healthy somehow, some way. It's the the numbers don't you know, predict that he will for a second straight season. But, um, you know, once, uh, you know, once Phoenix is gone and those two, two receivers are gone, I, I, I think Washington's due for a major step back. So, yeah, um, I suppose maybe if he had 10 commits and was even somewhere in the top 20 or 25 of recruiting, maybe he's up this list a spot or two for me. But it's, there's, there's reason to be concerned up there long term, in my opinion. So, yeah, at six, I got Jonathan Smith. I know it's a little bit lower than the two of you. Uh, to me, there's two things that play into this. One, I think that Jim Mahalachek, if we were doing like an assistant coach draft, would be the most, for this school in particular, he would be the most valuable assistant, that non-coordinator assistant in the conference, and I don't think it would be close. Um, I think like what he is able to do with that offensive line consistently producing really strong units is unbelievably impressive. And I think that that's kind of carrying Oregon state right now. And I don't think that the bottom of the conference has been particularly, I mean, let's be honest, it's been horrible. It's been very, very soft and they've been able to capitalize on that with a very one dimensional offense. Um, and they managed to put together a strong defense last year. Um, I don't know how strong of a, exchange for defensive coordinators they actually made i think that the experience that they brought back last year made it look a lot better than that than the scheme or philosophy change actually was um and so i anticipate this defense falling off a cliff this year and because of that i wouldn't take him over any of the coaches above at any job so i'm going to go ahead and 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 put smith at six Um, i think that mahalachek is the linchpin to their success and i think if he ever left they'd be in some deep deep trouble Who's your five? I've got Chip Kelly at five. Um, and I was really going back and forth between DeBoer and Kelly at five because they're very similar coaches to me. Um, both guys don't really recruit. I think DeBoer does a little bit more recruiting than Kelly does um, at the high school level. Um, but Kelly, I will say, has done like a very strong job in the portal, and I think he's done a better job than DeBoer at Washington has in the portal. I mean, tough to say that with Michael Penix, but if you just look broadly across the roster and you don't factor in like 
positional importance because obviously quarterback's the most important position on the field. Um, I I don't think that I think Kelly has outperformed DeBoer. The one thing though is that Kelly has routinely made really really bad defensive coordinator hires, and DeBoer yep. has only made one bad defensive coordinator hire, whereas Kelly has made like three or four. Um, and so to me that's concerning. Like the Jerry Asnero hire was bad. Um, I can't even remember the name of the guy two years ago. And then the guy, unfortunately, that just passed, is it McGovern, wasn't particularly good either. And I think that it's a lot of the same. I think that UCLA recruits well below the level that they should in the same way that Washington does. Um, And I really like Chip Kelly, and I think that getting Dante Moore almost makes me want to put him above DeBoer on this list. Um, But ultimately, I think that Washington is a better overall football team than UCLA is, and so I'm going to go ahead and rock with uh, DeBoer at four and Kelly at five. Yeah, I've got that's where I've got Chip Kelly as well. Um, I think I think uh, if I was hiring Chip Kelly, I would hire him with the understanding or the expectation that my football team is going to win probably seven to nine games almost every year. Might have a breakout season and, and, and maybe win nine or ten or or something along those lines. But I think the talent acquisition will remain a problem. He's going to be he's going to get enough to be competitive enough, but never to get to that next level. So. That's where I've got Chip. All right. At number five, I also have Chip Kelly. So this is the first position where we all three have the same name. Um, again, I think the portal has been uh, a savior for Chip because it seems like that's where he does the bulk of his recruiting now, which he only has to do twice a year. So if that wasn't the case, he'd probably be maybe a couple notches lower on this list or at least trending toward a couple notches lower. The guy can still coach offense. Um he still knows how to make what he has work on that side of the ball. As, as you pointed out, QB, is his defense has been a problem. But I, I don't see that changing. It, it, they brought in some better guys, but it doesn't seem like they ever put it all together on that side of the ball very well. So I've got him at five. At my number four, I've got Jonathan Smith out of Oregon State. Um, again, this is a gets the, gets the most out of what he's got kind of coach. Um, I think last year, to your point, was – a bit of an aberration kind of like you know i think they're a program we're gonna say it's a program that has to live by the the idea of like we're gonna get a bunch of guys into our system we're gonna coach them up and then every three or four years when all the stars align and we have all these like upperclassmen who have panned out we can have kind of a a a run where we win 10 games or nine games And, and that was last year for them and i think it's probably you know a couple years away before they do that again so I, I do kind of see them being down a little bit this year. I think Smith has kind of got that program running at, at probably the highest level they realistically can in the new era of, of college football. And uh, obviously, we'll see what he does with DJ this year as well. So he's my number four. Hop, who do you got for? Smith. I've also got Smith. I like him. I, I do wonder how he would do at a program like Oregon or USC or, or even UCLA where you can recruit a little better, Washington, whatever you want to say. Um, I think he's... I think he's a strong coach, makes um, pretty dependable hires. I think he runs a pretty good program, but uh, you're going to be limited at Oregon State. So, yeah, I think you're going to have those those peaks and valleys of seasons because of talent acquisition. But in terms of coaching, if I was starting a program and I said, hey, I'm going to put this guy here, I think he can get it done in all facets. Um, yeah, I've got Jonathan Smith there. It's interesting. So I've got DeBoer at four. But I actually think Jonathan Smith would recruit better at Washington than DeBoer is. Um, and so it's it's tough 
in that way. But the thing is, I think that DeBoer has, is a better coach than Smith from an offensive standpoint. I think that here's the deal. Like DeBoer is going to win more games than Smith, not only because he's had a better program, but because I think that they're always going to be able to put together a pretty strong receiver room. And I think that they're always going to have pretty strong quarterback play. Um, the issue that I see for DeBoer and why I have him at four and not higher on this list is one, he made a really shitty defensive coordinator higher. Um, and two defenses, like recruiting rankings correlate a lot stronger on defense than they do on offense. I think that you can, like, if you can put together a decent handful of skill players, you can coach your way to a strong offense. Defensively, if you don't have the Jimmys and Joes, you're up a creek. And I don't know, like, I think Washington's going to be a very strong football team this year. But what does Washington look like going into 2024? because a lot of these players are not going to be here anymore. And unless they go absolutely wild in like wild, wild in the transfer portal, this roster is going to fall off a literal cliff next year. Like they have not backfilled well on the recruiting trail. I don't think that their portal, their portal game and acquisitions have been that strong. Like they've gotten a couple decent players. I think Penix being the strongest one. Um, and I think Dylan Johnson is going to be a good player at running back for them, but I just I'm I'm concerned with what this roster looks like in a year or two, and I think that to me that puts a hard cap on how I put DeBoer on this, especially if it's going to be a friendship game where he just keeps this coordinator because it's his guy from Fresno State. Yeah, real quick on Washington. When I talk to Washington fans about their roster after 2023, you know they name off a bunch of guys. Right, of this guy, this guy that you know, and you look at all the guys they're naming off that that they're relying on for 2024, and and they have, they pretty much all have two things in common. One, they've never they've never really contributed on the college football field, right? So it's it's all based on potential or what they hear from practices that nobody gets to see. And then secondly, they're almost all you know high three stars, maybe a couple low four stars, right? So it's not like they're supremely talented guys, and it's not like they've even flashed right so it's you're relying on 15 to 20 guys who have never played to all or at least a significant majority of them to all pan out and that would be unprecedented in college football to have that many you know guys that are high three stars all pan out right like yeah three stars pan out every team has three stars that pan out but not to that percentage right usually it's maybe 25 30 percent and they need like 60 to 70 percent of those guys to hit for them to ha- not have some sort of considerable drop off in their roster so it's it's interesting it would be interesting to see oops and here's the deal maybe we'll look back um a year from now after another season where maybe some of these names that we're hearing them say like start actually factoring into the rotation and look like good players and they'll be like hey maybe it's not as bad as we're expecting but as of right now like i i just like this is a team that is held together with about eight to nine really good players and duct tape. And what happens when those eight to nine really good players are gone and all you're left with is duct tape. Um, and again, maybe some more good players emerge that develop through the program. I'm sure a couple will like that's, that's how any good program is, right? Like you see some guys step up and start to make more of a contribution, but I, I don't know. I just I don't think that the talent acquisition is sustainable at a program like Washington for this, and I think that it's going to put a hard ceiling on them. QB, you're up at number three. Yeah, so this is where I've got landing, and I'm going to be like brutally honest, and I'm going to be intellectually honest too, like for the same reason that I've got DeBoer at four. Um, 
I have Lanning here because one town acquisition is elite. It's really, really good. Uh, but the defense last year was a problem. Um, and it was not good at all. It was actually quite bad, um, especially relative to standards. And so I need to see the defense make a big step forward in order for me to move him up this list. I thought the Kenny Dillingham hire was fantastic. It turned out to be great. Kenny Dillingham is now the youngest head coach in power five. Um, and he, I think that the hire will signs really strong, but there's some unknown attached to that, right? And so if he nails two offensive coordinator hires in a row as a defensive guy, that makes me really, really confident. Now we just need to see the defense take the step forward with all that additional talent and that injection of, of new guys. And so um, this was kind of the hard cap for me for landing for right now. Um, losing to Washington and Oregon State the way that they did last year was unacceptable. And so I can't in good faith put him any higher than three. Uh, this is where... Um, this is where I have we're at three, we're at three. So I've got Whittingham here. This is where I've got, and um, I'm sure he's either going to be two or one for most of you got for you two guys. But um, I just I don't know. He's done a tremendous job. He's probably he's arguably got the best resume of everybody in the conference. Um, I just that's where I've got him. I think there's some upside in planning, so that's why I gave him the bump ahead of Whittingham here. But I agree with you. Lanning's definitely going to have to learn from, from some of his first-year mistakes uh, this coming season. All right, at number three, I also have Dan Lanning. Um, obviously, you know, he's the best recruiter in the conference, and that includes Lincoln Riley. Um, and that's why he's at number three on this list. Right, He's got one year of head coaching experience. I think, like you said, his hires have been fantastic, so he gets high marks there. I think his in-game – I know some other fan bases laugh about his in-game coaching, but I think if you go through the, the litany of examples last year, I thought it was it was an A-level – you know, maybe there's a, a call or two here. And I'm not talking about play calls. I'm talking about, you know, go for it decisions, kick punt decisions, um, you know, field goal, field goal or go decisions. I think outside of maybe one or two, he was he nailed those last year. Uh, timeout usage, really strong, right? Uh, just kind of overall game flow. Like, look at the way they managed the end of that Washington State game to, to secure the comeback. And I think, you know. I think he was really good at all of that game day stuff. Um, I think the the only thing against him here is what you said, right? Like th- finishing that Oregon State game. Uh, and again, I don't necessarily put that on coaching, but at the end of the day, you're the head coach. Um, but but more so, this the defense as a whole, right? I mean, the defense has to be significantly better. <laughs> um, and and it, I mean, he clearly he clearly saw that, and he made steps to turnover most of the roster on the defensive side of the football so um he's a guy that could easily be at number one on this list in a year um or so and and but he's also a guy that could fall down if if he doesn't correct some of those mistakes that we saw in the defense last year for sure so i got dan at number three at number two i've got lincoln riley out of usc obviously High-level quarterback play, high-level offense is going to follow him wherever he goes. Um, he's proven that consistently now. He's always going to put up points. I, I think the questions about Riley, again, he's going to recruit because he's at USC and, and he can recruit. The questions about Riley are going to be the same as they are about Dan. What can he do on the defensive side of the ball? The fact that he not only brought Alex Grinch over with him from Oklahoma but then retained him after last season – is is really to me and obviously he's not getting any risk I mean, USC's not going to fire him obviously after what they've been through the last 15 years but to me that's the moment or that that's the decision point is sticking with Grinch and sticking with that defense to me that says 
are they going to be able to get themselves into the upper echelon elite level of, of play in this country and compete for a national title? I mean, not with the defense they had last year, right? So that's going to be his bugaboo, right? He's either got to, like, Grinch has either got to have some sort of miraculous turnaround on that side of the ball over the next year or two, or they've got to move on to somebody else who can do the job there because they're not going to win a title with that kind of defense any more than, than Dan and Oregon would with the defense we saw last year either. So I got Lincoln Riley at number two. Hop, who you got? I got Dan. That's where I've got Danimal. I think, uh, you know, if he'd have, have probably been able to eliminate some of those first-year mistakes uh, this past season, he's probably number one. But uh, his talent acquisition is is absolutely impeccable. His uh, roster management is, is impeccable. His ability to oversee a program I think is 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 really really good so um, this is where I've got Dan and uh, I, I think uh, maybe next year we're talking about him you know as the number one guy more than likely all right who do you got at number two QB I got I got Riley um, for a lot of the reasons you mentioned and I, I think that this goes for DeBoer, Lanning, Riley, all the guys that are going to be going into year two as head coaches. I would expect all the defenses to get better. The question is how much better. And I think that Oregon and Washington, or sorry, Oregon and USC have done the best job, obviously, of talent acquisition at the spots. But I, I really don't believe in Grinch as a play caller. I think that his track record is very poor. Um, outside of the one year at Washington State, like what has he really done? Like, Oklahoma got a little bit better, but then they kind of plateaued super hard, and then there wasn't a lot left in the cupboard uh, when Brett Vendables took over on defense over there. So I don't know. We'll see. I, they, I think they made some impressive portal acquisitions this offseason on defense. I think it'll end up making them better, but the question is how much. And if it isn't as good as it should be this year, will Riley pull the plug? Um, is my question because it seems very clear that him and Grinch are buddies um, and he, he really likes Grinch. And so if that ends up being another friendship situation where he's unable to make the tough but correct decision, I think that that would be a pretty strong indictment on Lincoln Riley because as long as he can pair a good defense with what he does offensively, they're going to be elite every year. Um, and so I have him at number two purely because of the way that they recruit and because of how strong of an offensive coach he is. It'll be really interesting to see how that plays out defensively. And that puts you at number one. Yeah, and I got uh, the only guy left is uh, Kyle Whittingham. And the reason I have him at number one is I think that he has squeezed every ounce of juice out of that Utah football program that can be squeezed. Um, and not only that, he's elevated it. Like they joined the conference with him as their head coach. I mean, people forget he's been the head coach since urban Meyer was there. Like he's been there for like 16 years now. Um, and the thing is, is that like when they came into the conference, like the recruiting got a little better. They started to win games. They started to compete for conference titles. They've won two in a row. Do I think they were the best team last year? No, um, but they won. And so that counts for something. Right. And, now they're actually starting to recruit at a much higher level. Like he is out like pound for pound. He is way out recruiting chip Kelly and Kalen DeBoer. But when you consider like what program he's at and where they should be recruiting, I think he's vastly outperforming. Whereas those guys are underperforming. And so um, 
do I ever think that Utah is going to be the best job in the, in, in the way that the conference is formatted currently? No, it wouldn't be, but he's going to consistently put them in a position to succeed. And if he can continue to upgrade the recruiting, like they're going to just going to keep getting better. So um, I'm a, I'm a big Kyle Whittingham fan. I have a lot of respect for him as a coach. I love what they do defensively. Um, I'm not the biggest Andy Ludwig fan. Um, and some of that is some biases from when he was at Oregon, but I, I think that right we're going to run into a point soon as the talent upgrades where Andy Ludwig becomes the um, becomes the bottleneck for them. And I'll be interested to see because they had a lot of really poor luck or poor luck and poor decisions um, in, the, in their offensive coordinator room over the time before Andy Ludwig arrived. They had like five guys in six years or something like that. So, um, And none of them were particularly good. In fact, one of them was Troy Taylor. So we'll see what happens. Uh, number one for me, I've got Lincoln, and uh, I know that this will make some of the Duck fans, you know, spit in their mouth and get get mad at me. But uh, I, it's just, he's he's got a resume that's been pretty well. I have similar concerns as to you guys. Uh, you know what he's doing uh, defensively. There were some concerns recruiting last year. I think a little bit, but it looks like he's uh, done a much better job with that this year. I'm not sure that his roster management. Um, is is where it needs to be, but uh, runs an exciting offense, gets quarterbacks, and and his team scores a lot of points and wins games. So I guess that's the name of the game. And uh, right now I've got Lincoln Riley there, but I could easily um, see that being different next year. While we're on the, the subject of Lincoln real quick, I just want to get each of your quick thoughts on, to me it feels like, is Lincoln a guy that wants to try his hand at the NFL? Because if he is, it feels like after this year would be the year to do that. What do you think, QB? I mean, I don't know. The guy personally, I have no idea. I know that there's been some rumors about him flirting with it in the past. Um, But I think that it would have to be the right spot because there was a lot made of the fact that the the move from Oklahoma to USC, and this could just be BS, but was about like the lifestyle differences that, that it could provide for his daughters and his wife. Um, and like just them being able to be in a bigger market on the beach and like kind of enjoy the amenities of being rich as opposed to being stuck in freaking Norman, Oklahoma, where being rich doesn't really do anything for you. Um, so we'll see what, we'll see what happens. I, I don't know. I, if he does leave, I'm sure they will be in a position to hire another really strong coach, assuming that their administration can make uh, a decent AD hire. Um, but I, I think we'll end up seeing Lincoln at USC for quite a bit longer. Fair enough. Um, back to my number one. I also have Kyle Whittingham there, and this actually will be his 19th season as head coach this coming year. So he started in 2005. Uh, looking back since 2014, here's and not counting the COVID year. Here's his regular season win totals. Eight, nine, nine, seven, nine, ten. Nine nine, like he's incredibly consistent at a place like you said where you're talent capped, um, and he's he's outperforming that. He he knows exactly who to recruit into his system to maximize their ability, maximize his team's ability, and he he's, if you were to to say if you were to have any program in the country that's like got a let's say. A, a, a talent cap, right? That has that has these natural disadvantages for whatever reason. That that maybe they're going to peak at 
20 to 25 in the recruiting rankings, he'd be the guy you would want, right? He knows exactly what he wants to do, exactly how to do it, and how to get the most out of it consistently when at a, at a pretty high level, season after season after season. I do think there is a ceiling to that, and I think there's, they're at their ceiling, right? I, I think winning winning the Pac-10 and, or the Pac-12 and, and the, the way that they have the last two years and, and not and then not winning a Rose Bowl is probably about the ceiling of that program. Um, and I think it's not a coincidence that that happened in the two years that they had a, a former five-star quarterback at the helm. And and I don't know that that's sustainable for them past past this year. And, and, and frankly, even this coming year, I think is going to be... I know they're the two-time defending champs. I think it's going to be really hard for them to, to win or even make that game this year. But we'll see. He's, he's surprised people before. So that's our... That's our coaching list for this year. Any last thoughts before we wrap up this episode, Hop? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. I think, um, you know, we'll have a, a really good pod next week with a, a big official visit weekend coming up once again. So um, I know we'll be able to focus on that. And then hopefully in July, there should be a few more commits and, and uh, those will be exciting to talk about as well. Yep, I'm uh, I'm on the same page. I'm looking forward to seeing kind of how recruiting recruiting wraps up here um, with the dead period quickly approaching. We got one more official visit weekend. There's going to be a lot of really important decisions that get made by prospects that our Oregon's in a good position for or top one or two for. And so um, seeing which guys Oregon ends up landing in this position and then where they end up pivoting at the spots that they miss um, or lose battles. I wouldn't even call it missing because you're competing with like Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State for a lot of these kids um, is going to be uh, intriguing to see. So, uh, really looking forward to that, and and also looking forward to talking more football as the season quickly approaches. Looks like Doug forgot to unmute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, I'm talking away on mute. <laughs> Uh, no, absolutely. We, we got some more fun stuff coming up. We got some top 10, more top 10 kind of stuff. We'll do some player drafts and some other fun stuff throughout the summer as we gear up toward fall camp and the season. And real quick before we sign off, uh, Ryan Pelham, no surprise, just released his top two, and it's USC and Oregon. Obviously, he was just down at SC. He's coming to Oregon this weekend, and then he's going to make the call. So I like where Oregon stands in that one. It's All right. definitely going to be an interesting one. That's one of the, the fun ones to talk about, right? Yeah, that one and Jeremiah McClellan will both be interesting. Like now with Tysier Denmark exiting the class, um, is there room for both? I would assume yes. Like if both wanted to commit, I don't think you turn either of them away. But I wouldn't think so. But again, like it seems that the chances with uh, Pelham might be slightly better than McClellan. But we'll see what happens next weekend. It's going to be a fun weekend. Uh, A lot of top prospects in town and um, should have a lot of good juice for you next week.